I can't remember the first time I heard the song Hallelujah. I've heard it so many times now, sung by so many different people. It was probably John Cale on that Leonard Cohen tribute album called I'm Your Fan, because I remember my mom played that a lot. Um, but it was probably maybe the Jeff Buckley version, because that one was so incredibly popular. I certainly remember it from Shrek. I mean, most people who are you know music snobs won't mention that, but I do remember it from Shrek, of course. And since then, I've seen it sung countless times, talent shows, ceremonies, you know, the opening of the Olympics in 2010, Leonard Cohen's um, memorial service in Montreal, obviously. Uh, It is a song that in so many ways kind of transcends everything. Like, what kind of song is it? How would you describe it? It transcends genres. It defies categorization in a lot of ways, a hymn, an ode to love, something in between. But it's such a reflection of the man who wrote it. And perhaps what's most fascinating is just the ups and downs that for Leonard Cohen as well, the Montreal poet and singer, uh, and that the song itself was a titanic struggle for him to write. And the end result wasn't even released by his record company at the time. It was released later on an independent label. It almost vanished. Uh, instead, it's as if by grace itself, the track grew in popularity over the years. And it's unlikely to journey. It's unlikely journey to stardom is the basis of a new documentary about the song and the man. Here's a snippet of the trailer. You look around and you see a world that cannot be made sense of. You either raise your fists or you say hallelujah. I was a young reporter for Rolling Stone magazine in 74 doing a piece on Leonard. He's so gracious. It goes like this the fourth. Leonard, he was always a spiritual seeker. Unlocking the mysteries of life was his primary preoccupation. Sitting in a meditation hall for four or five hours a day, you kind of get straight with yourself. You know, it was often starting with this song. First thing, coffee, then working on Hallelujah. There was a lot of verses. The number 180 comes to mind. The real song, where that comes from, no one knows that is grace, that is a gift. It certainly is. So how do you take the history of just one song and weave it into t- into a tale of a lifetime of artistry, struggle, success, and so forth? Well, joining me now are Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmakers Dana Goldfine and Dan Geller, uh, directors of Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song. Thanks for your time tonight. Sure. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for having us. I should point out to our audience who may think, is this a documentary about Leonard Cohen or is this a documentary about the song Hallelujah? It is, in fact, one wrapped into the other, which is a really fascinating way of tackling it. Uh, what let you what led you there? You know, uh, it, it was one of those serendipitous things where we were having a dinner table conversation with a really dear friend who happens to be a very renowned writer about film. His name's David Thompson. And he just posed this question out of the blue, which is, have you ever considered making a documentary about a song? Um, And it didn't initially strike either of us as something very intriguing. But a few minutes later, I really did get this image of Leonard Cohen in performance when he was on that amazing five-year world victory lap um, tour. He happened to come to Oakland, California, and we were lucky enough to go see him a couple times. And the moment when he got on stage, got to his knees, started singing Hallelujah, had become this indelible memory. So you're right. It's like two strands wrapped into one film. But the way that I, the way they came to my 
my mind after David Thompson posed that question was as one. It was like, Dan, I think I know both the song and the artist. But we didn't know much of anything about the artist. So, I mean, when Dana said that, yeah, it's intriguing, but because he was such an interesting presence on, on stage, but we didn't know much about Leonard's spiritual seeking. We can infer things from the range of songs that he was performing, but didn't know much about it. Didn't know much about his background. Certainly didn't know about the crazy story of the song itself. Um, And it's the way it was written, the way it was rejected, the way it came back around. So it wasn't until we got hold of Alan Light's book quickly uh, and read that, that for me, I thought, oh, wait a second, there is a lot here. And that a lot, so that that song because as Adrian Clarkson says in the movie and one of the opening lines, it seems to encompass so much of what Leonard is, all, you know, the contradictions, the yearning, the brokenness, the holiness, it's all there on that song. Mm-hmm. So that song becomes a really good excuse and then pathway into Leonard, the seeker. And little do we know when that combo of the song and the artist came to the, my mind, we had no idea that the song had such a bizarre, you know, trajectory out into the world and that, you know, it's very dramatic, right? I mean, very few songs that I can think of have that dramatic, um, almost not making it out into the world. And then the serendipity with which um, it kind of bumps along until it becomes this international hymn. Yeah, I mean, I mean for the audience, who, audience listeners who don't may not know, the song was released originally on an album back in the in 1984. Um, and the album was never released in North America. This, the album with um, Hallelujah on it was never released until a few years later on a small, much smaller independent label. So the song had every opportunity of simply sinking into oblivion, even though Leonard Cohen and everyone around him felt they had done a really good job. His record company thought the very opposite. It's one thing to to read something about about a song. It's another thing to make it to make it sing, so to speak, visually. <laughs> Um, how did you manage to do, there's so much interesting footage in this and, and you tell the story in a way that kind of, you need to tell the story of who wrote the song before you tell the story of the song, I gather. Yes. In order to appreciate what went into making that song, what it is, you need to know about the person. And fortunately, Canada recognized in Leonard Cohen in his poetic, poet writing days, um, someone who really was a cultural standout and began documenting him, starting with ladies and gentlemen, introducing Leonard Cohen or Mr. Leonard Cohen, the great National Film Board of Canada CBC piece. So we had the the baseline material coming across through Adrian Clarkson's uh, uh, talk show interviews where Leonard first performed live on television, any song uh, that right through the point into 1980s where he is is shown starting to write that um, song on camera. So that kind of visual wealth was exceptional. I mean, he I, in, maybe because he was being documented as a poet from the very beginning, it just it, it carried through um, documenting him as a songwriter. Because I don't think I don't know of a lot of songwriters who are being documented for the lyrical part of what they were writing. Maybe Bob Dylan. Maybe Dylan. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe Dylan. That's a good point. But I mean, the thing is, once we settled on this notion of can we look at Leonard Cohen through the prism of his most famous song, um, which of course happened to have this amazingly dramatic um, story, the song itself, um, then that that sort of triggered every question as to what to include or not include. And it allowed us to not make a cradle to grave um, documentary, but 
you know, because we were starting with the song as the prism, it was like, oh, well, then the natural place to start, or at least to experiment with starting, is the moment when he goes on TV and tells the world, like, okay, you think I'm a poet and a novelist, but guess what? I also write songs. It is. I, I once had a colleague who said uh, in TV who said the he always wrote the ending of his stories because if you know where you're going, you know where to start. Right? That was always uh, his trick. Um, when, when it comes to, I mean, of course, in this case, and this came, this was true of the book too. Um, Leonard Cohen was not interviewed for the book. Uh, so, in fact, when it comes to this very premise of let's talk about Leonard Cohen through the prism of his most famous work, he's never talked about it in, in, directly, at least. Well, he, he did talk about it, particularly in those interviews with Ratzow Sloman, uh, right. and particularly about the process, about how hard it was and banging his head against the floor in the Royalton Hotel um, room. But also, he did talk about it when asked why all of a sudden, after recording it and starting to perform live several years later, he changed it up and it became a secular version of the song with three of the four verses tossed out and four new ones added in. So he did address it that way about the reasons for doing it. But of course, you're right. He never went in depth to say, well, this is what this means. And this is what that refers to. And he would have hated that. We never, even if we were to have interviewed him, we, we never would have asked him that. So when we first approached Alan Light, who had written the book, um, you know, and, and in the book, in the preface to that book, uh, he talks about how he was given Leonard's blessing, but not an interview with Leonard. And that that was how he went forward. When we first spoke with Alan, he said, you know, there have been other people who have approached me about doing what you guys want to do. And one of the things that's always made them drop out after thinking about it was that, you know, I've been very frank with them and said that Leonard Cohen will not sit for an interview. So, you know, is that something that you guys would find an insurmountable stumbling block? And we thought about it and we said, no, I mean, we're, we're the kind of filmmakers who actually like it when someone throws down a gauntlet um, and says, okay, now you do it like this. Um, and so it was like, okay, well, let's just think about this. We, we think it's totally possible. We just don't know exactly how it's going to transpire, but we do think that, that there's enough there. We had no idea at that moment that we were going to get access to, you know, the Cohen archives with those unbelievable journals and notebooks and Polaroids that he took the, the first selfie taker is, is what we like to say about Leonard Cohen. Cause he, he, as soon as he got hold of a Polaroid camera, he took selfies. Um, you know, the, we had no idea, even though we'd hung out with Ratso Sloman, um, who's the young reporter who then, you know, who interviews Leonard for the first time in the early seventies and then continues all the way through 2000. We had no idea that, Le- that Ratso Sloman had, cassette tapes with every conversation he'd ever had. So, you know, certain things ended up um, dropping into our laps along the way, um, which which made it easier to not actually interview Leonard. I imagine like any time a very great documentary is a series of well-planned uh, events and some, and some fortunate turns, right. As it goes on, I'm speaking with uh, Dan Geller and Dana Goldfine. They are the directors of Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, a journey and journey, a song, a new documentary that looks really at the life of Leonard Cohen, but really through the prism of his most now his most known and successful track. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about the Canadian aspect of this. Of course, Canadian audiences would probably know more about Leonard Cohen than a lot of other audiences might, or at least had a longer history with him. And let's, we'll talk a bit about just how that was incorporated because there's a a lot of Canadian content in this documentary. That's next. 
My guests this half hour are Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmakers Dana Goldfein and Dan Geller. Uh, they are directors of Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song, a fascinating look into both uh, the career of Leonard Cohen, not a cradle to grave look at it, but through the prism of what became or what has become his most popular work. Watching the documentary, I kept thinking, you know, this almost harkens back to a different time. You think sort of of Michelangelo and the Sistine Chapel, just the blood, sweat and tears that he put in to writing this track and how it was a miserable failure out of the gate and how deflating that must be that there was almost something universally appealing about it i, I imagine I'm, I'm not you know as an artist you must have felt something similar uh, there were many days <laughs> working with the movie where you well there's a wood floor behind us bang it's not as comfy as a as a carpet but where we were banging our heads but also taking solace in in looking at how hard leonard would work on things to try to overcome the blocks and uh, what he would consider the inadequacies of what he was doing to get to his end result. Yeah, I mean, Leonard has this line in the film. I think he he and he and Bob Dylan had this um, very collegial uh, friendship. You know, they they both respected each other's work, but they both had very very different um, ways of approaching their own work. And Dylan is very proud of saying that you know it took him fifteen minutes to write certain songs, and he could do it in the back of a taxi cab. And Leonard bemoaned the fact that he had to sit there by himself, you know, blackening pages, as he would say. Um, and sometimes it took him years. So Dan and I are sort of like that too. I feel like we're two filmmakers that are not that prolific. We take years. Um, and we've learned how to just say that is our process. We're never going to be one of those um, machine companies that puts out a documentary every year, but let's just take each project um, and and go along for the ride with it and see where it takes us. And if it takes us five years, that's okay. In this case, it took us eight years, um, partly because of having to clear all the music rights, which is its own beast. But I would say, fortunately, in this case, the parallel stops with Leonard's album, Various Positions. This film did get released in North America and around the world. I'm very thankful that the parallel stopped there. Absolutely. You know, uh, Leonard Cohen's well-known to a Montreal, to a Canadian audience. Obviously, his legacy in Canada is a bit different than it is elsewhere. Um, not not, not his not his sort of victory lap uh, and, and everyone being very happy for that, but just his backstory. Um, you must have had to take a bit of a crash course in that, too, in sort of where he was from and what that was all about, because it spoke a lot about who he was. Yeah, yeah I, I, there, there's Sylvie Simmons' beautiful book, which is a very good biography. There, there's some other movies that have come out in years past. Uh, and, and, and then, and then the interviews themselves, mm-hmm. um, both the interviews that uh, with Leonard over the many, many years, which generally were pretty deep interviews. I mean, they're, they're, most people who are worth their salt, and especially radio interviews, where the, the time is not quite so tight, um, got into some pretty heady matters and background um, uh, questions with Leonard. But also, I think two people in the film really gave us insights, um, and we were very fortunate to be able to interview them. One was Adrian Clarkson, of course, who, um, you know, there's that beautiful early scene from the 60s where she's the one who's who's bequeathed with this, you know, first on-camera, you know, announcement on the part of Leonard Cohen that, yes, I'm a songwriter as well. So and and her ability to and then they became friends, of course, and and that friendship lasted for decades. Um, so she she kind of tutored us a bit. And then, but the real gift I think was Nancy Bacall, who was Leonard's childhood friend. They grew up together, and um, you know, then continued their friendship. She actually uh, was the editor of one of his collected 
uh, book, collected, sorry, collected works, collected right. works books. And, um, and they both had that same sense of, we love Westmount and we are happy we grew up here, but we also need to bust out um, and not necessarily um, follow the, the rules of that community in terms of how one would lead one's life. So when it was all done, was there, you must've learned so much about Leonard Cohen. What, what in a nutshell, I know this is an awful question, but what in a nutshell, what, what, what did you learn about him that you think was so compelling that people should sit down and spend two hours of their time watching this again? It, I, I love that he was trying to reconcile the opposites that constitute a life of brokenness and holiness of sensuality and purity of trying to find meaning and connection at the same time, the difficulty of creating and sustaining a connection. All of those things are completely relatable. Of course, he talks about it and sings about it in such deeply thoughtful and elegant ways. But the other part is that when the search dissolved for him, the seeking itself dissolved, which he talks about in the film, that's an incredible surprise to me that a seeker all his life just found it dissolving away and didn't want to examine it for fear of bringing back the, the, uh, the pain, the depression, the confusion of life. And, and that, that, that moment when you see it on his face also later in performances that it's, that's gone, it doesn't invalidate the seeking at all, but it's a really interesting way to think about how one conducts those questions or, or answers those questions or looks for answers throughout a life. Well, and the other thing, um, I mean, I'm assuming the world looks as, as dark and bleak in Canada right now as it does here in the U.S. Um, discovering Leonard's unbelievably witty and dry sense of humor was a lovely surprise. And I, I promise whoever goes to see this movie will find themselves chuckling um, many way, many parts along the way because as even though he was labeled early on um, and maybe throughout his life as like, you know, the, the singer about doom and gloom and, you know, the guy you want to slit your wrist as you listen to his tracks, it's anything but that he was so funny. And I think his humor really, really comes through in the film. Yeah. The gold find and Dan Geller. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been enjoyable.